Greetings, everyone. Welcome to Sabbath Services. This Sabbath will be a very important Sabbath because we need to cover a very serious topic. I'll explain that a little bit later as we go along so we know what the situation is. So let's begin by going to Jeremiah 23. Here's an interesting prophecy, and we see it unfolding today, especially in Protestantism. Jeremiah 23 and verse 20. Now, I got a letter or an email the other day, a person asking, is God correcting us? (laughs) And I answered, Yes, and he's correcting the whole world. And we read in Jeremiah 25 that God says he has a controversy with all nations. So we're seeing things on a magnitude that we haven't seen before. And yet, isn't it interesting? We have the communications to get the information on it. Okay. Now, verse 20. The anger of the Lord shall not return until he has executed, until he has performed the purposes of his heart. Now, that's leading up to the first resurrection. See, but remember this. Every purpose of God is going to be fulfilled. See? Now, not in a time frame that we may think or that we may surmise, but according to God's timetable. And we have an outline of that with the Sabbath and holy days. But it doesn't tell us how far ahead or how far in between. See, Now, for example, this coming year, beginning with atonement, starts a jubilee year. Okay? So a lot of people think Jesus is going to return in a jubilee year. Well, if that's the case, then it's off 50 years. But what if it's not the case? Okay. He says, in the latter days, you shall understand it perfectly. I have not sent these prophets, yet they ran. I have not spoken to them, yet they prophesied. Now, that comes in all forms and sizes and shapes and all different religions and even within the church of God. But if they had stood in my counsel, stop and think about that, whatever the counsel of God is, everything must be rooted there, see, and cause my people to hear my words, then they would have turned them from their evil ways and from the evil of their doings. Am I a God who is near, says the Lord, and not a God afar off? He is near, near to anyone who calls out, anyone who cries to God. He will hear. He has the power, he has the means, he has the mechanism, and everything about it. So verse 25, I have heard what the prophets said, who prophesy lies in my name, saying, I have dreamed, I have dreamed. And that's what we have today. I was listening to a Protestant who was saying, you know, just before the tribulation takes place, 
we're all going to be raptured away. See? Okay. And I was watching, and he didn't raise off the stage. <laughs> okay. How long shall this be in the hearts of the prophets who prophesy lies? Now then, there are lies that are direct lies. There are lies because of misapplication of what you think is the truth. Okay. Who are prophets of the deceit of their own heart. Okay. They scheme to cause my people to forget my name by their dreams, which they tell each one to his neighbor as their fathers have forgotten my name for Baal. Now, here it is. Here is the key. And also the title of this message, right here. Verse 28. The prophet who has a dream, let him tell a dream. And he who has my word, all the words of God, see, let him speak my word faithfully. So the title of this message is Speak My Words Faithfully. That's what God wants. See, now all of us have lived through a lot of upheaval within the churches of God. And we've heard how many speak things that were not correct. And so enticing and so alluring that fully 40% of what we knew as worldwide went from Sabbath-keeping to Sunday-keeping. So think about that. Let's go on. So God says, What is the chaff of the wheat, says the Lord? Is not my word like a fire? Yes, indeed, says the Lord. And like a hammer that breaks the rock in pieces? Therefore, behold, I am against the prophets who steal my words, each one from his neighbor. And I am against the prophets who use their tongues to say, he said, but I did not say. Okay. Now then, let's look at some other scriptures as we go along here. Okay. Come down here to verse 36. And you shall mention the oracle of the Lord no more, for every man's word becomes his own oracle. In other words, everyone does what he thinks is right in his own eyes. For you have perverted the words of the living God, of the Lord of hosts, our God. Okay? Now, how you pervert the words of God. That is taking them and making them say what is not true. By taking them and misapplying them in situations which actually changes the word of God. So we'll see that a little bit later here. Okay. Thus shall you say to the prophets, what has the Lord answered you, and what has the Lord spoken? But since you say the oracle of the Lord, therefore thus says the Lord, because you say this word, 
the oracle of the Lord, after I sent you, saying, you shall not say the oracle of the Lord. Okay? Now then, think about this with the Protestants, because the Protestants do this more than anybody else. We'll get to the situation where it happened here just recently in Christian Biblical Church of God. But remember this, therefore, behold, I, even I, will completely forget you, and I will forsake you, and the city that I gave to you and your fathers, and cast you out of my sight. Did God do that with Jerusalem and Judah? Yes, he did. Okay. So when we're talking about the word of God, we need to do it and handle it correctly. Now, just put this in your notes. Psalm 50, 17. It says that they cast the words of God behind them. And isn't that what the Protestants do? Now, isn't that what happened after worldwide split? Went into many pieces? Yes, indeed. All right, now let's come over here to Proverbs 30. And this is a warning to all of us. See, Now remember this. Every elder, every minister, and every member must speak faithfully the words of God. But especially those who are teaching. All right. Proverbs 30, and let's pick it up here in verse 5. Every word of God is pure. He is a shield to those who who put their trust in him. Now, notice verse 6. It's interesting that this is in Proverbs, right? Do not add to his words, lest he correct you and you be found a liar. Okay? Now, that is true, is it not? Now, let's come to Psalm 12. So, every word is God, pure. We have to take care of it properly, speak properly, especially the elders. Okay, Psalm 12, and let's pick it up here in verse 6. The words of the Lord are pure words. Like silver tried in the furnace of the earth, purified seven times. You shall keep them, O Lord. You shall preserve them from this generation forever. Okay. So God's word is always true and right down for all of us. Now, Why is this important for us at this particular point? Okay. Because we need to have the truth of God. Now, let's come to another psalm, Psalm 115. And everything that we do has to be based upon the word of God. Psalm 115, verse 9. O Israel... Trust in the Lord. He is their help and their shield. 
O house of Aaron, trust in the Lord. He is their help and their shield. Now notice he starts out with the whole nation, then the house of Aaron, and you who fear the Lord, trust in the Lord. He is their help and their shield. Okay? Now then, we trust in God because of his truth. Come over here to Proverbs, the third chapter. Let's see more about trust, and then we'll compare this with what else it says there. Proverbs 3 and verse 5. Trust in the Lord with all your heart, and lean not to your own understanding. Now, if you're trusting the Lord with all your heart, and you're trusting in the word of God because it's pure and true. And this is what we have to teach. Now, in our experience, and with the Christian biblical church of God, we have had to fight every heresy, every wrong doctrine, and you look at all of our books, and you look at the Bible here, the Holy Bible in its original order, a faith version. See, now it's possible to do that because all of those who made the errors and changes in the Bible recorded them, and we know where they are. So that's how we're able to do a proper translation, faithful to the Word of God, a faithful version, see. We don't lean to our own understanding. Everything about the Word of God, we have to lean on the Word of God. And all of us who have the Spirit of God, we need to use the Spirit of God to rightly divide it. We'll see here in just a minute. In all your ways, acknowledge him, and he shall direct your paths. Verse 7, do not be wise. In your own eyes. Don't get lifted up in your own counsel. See? Don't be wise in your own eyes. Fear the Lord and depart from evil. Now, we're going to talk a little bit about correction here because... We need to cover something in a way of correction. All right? Let's come to Jeremiah 10. Now, correction is not easy. Some correction can be handled face-to-face, person-to-person. When the mistake is egregious and public, it must be addressed publicly. If it's really serious, you don't have, oh, well, I'm sorry I did it, and then we kiss and make up and sweep sweep it under the rug. No, because there must be a change in heart and mind and repentance in approaching the word of God. We'll see that in a minute here. Proverbs 10 
Verse 24. O Lord, I know that the way of man is not in himself. Now, see how that ties in with Proverbs? Lean not to your own understanding. Now, all of you know what I do when I have a thought that's not from the Bible, but it may be something that could could pretend. What do I do so you know that it's not the word of God? If it's a little deal, if it's a big deal, and everybody knows it's not the word of God. But that means this. If we have things that we're thinking about, we need to get the word of God to compare with our thoughts to see what it is that we are doing. See? Verse 23, I know that way of man is not in himself. It's not in man who walks to direct his steps. And isn't that true? What human being can direct his own steps without the word of God? I mean, look at the trouble that's in the world today. All that's there. Everyone doing what's right in their own eyes. And look what happens when Satan takes over and lies become the general topic of news and conversation. And then lies come in that are purely satanic, like this changing the gender of children in school. And I don't still do not know how they got that power within the schools to not even tell the parents. Okay? So you see that permanently changes those poor kids. Okay? Now, verse 24, O Lord, correct me. This is what we need. We all need correction. Okay? Now, sometimes correction is easy. Sometimes it's not. He says, correct me, but with judgment, not in your anger, lest you bring me to nothing. See? No. What we're covering today is not to destroy someone, but it's to let the church know that when there are serious and grievous problems committed by an elder, and I won't mention his name here today because it was done publicly on GTM, and all of those who saw it, several hundred, and a lot of people were calling, what is this? What is going on? And many of the elders called me as well. Okay? Now I'll tell you a little bit more about that in a minute here. Proverbs 3 and verse 11. Now, I want everyone to know this. And what we're going to cover today, we're going to do it in a godly way. This doesn't come from me as a person to correct this elder. Because I have counseled with all the elders, get their input, and so that we know what we're doing, okay? 
So we want this to be inspired by God for his correction, for the elder that transgressed, and it was really, we will see, a very serious error. Okay? And for all of us that we all learn and that we understand. Now, let's go on. My son, despise not the chastening of the Lord, nor be weary of his correction, for whom the Lord loves. And we love this elder, and we want him to repent, and want him to be reconciled, and want him to be restored. So remember the three R's. Repentance, reconciliation, restoration. We want that. Okay? For whom the Lord loves, he corrects, even as a father corrects his own son in whom he delights. Proverbs 15. Now here's what happens if correction doesn't come. Proverbs 15 and verse 5. A fool despises his father's instruction, but he who listens to correction is prudent. Okay? Now, verse 10. There is grievous correction for him who forsakes the way. He who hates reproof shall die. See? So correction is good. Now, let's come back here so we can see what's written in the book of 1 Timothy. Now, we're going to spend some time in 1 Timothy. Okay? What do we do? Now, I don't know how much of the problem could that happened in Worldwide could have been avoided if... They would have followed the Bible and corrected the problem with Scripture. See? But because they didn't, it has caused problems. 1 Timothy 5, verse 17. Let the ordained elders who are leading well be counted worthy of double honor, especially those who are laboring in the word and doctrine. So all of our elders are laboring in the word and doctrine. Okay? For the scripture says, you shall not muzzle the ox treading out the corn, and the workman is worthy of his hire. Now verse 19, do not receive an accusation against an elder except on the testimony of two or three witnesses. Okay. Now that's important. Those elders who sin should be corrected in the presence of all in order that the others may also fear. Now when it's a public matter, which this was, there has to be correction publicly 
we have to state what the problem is. Now, when it first came to my attention, I knew nothing about it because it was on GTM, go to meeting, and then it was brought to my attention. So the first thing I did, because it was recorded on video, I had a transcript of every word that this elder spoke on go to meeting. And then when I got the transcript, I listened to the video that was recorded of it, and it was word for word. So I have the transcript of the words that were, were spoken and what caused the uproar among the brethren, which it was. Now, all of us are very sensitive to when things are not spoken correctly because we have come out of all of the things, the, the craftiness of men. And we want to stick with the word of God. Here's what the problem began with here. He says, we're going to focus on the fast. Fasting is a very dis- distinct, important on the day of atonement. Yes, that is true. Okay. And fasting is for every single one. You read Deuteronomy 16, it starts out with the high priest and then all the Levites and then all of the people. See? All fast. On atonement, we are fasting to God, humbling ourselves. See? Now, hold your place here and turn to Psalm 35 because we'll see it a little later a miscue about affliction and fasting. So Psalm 35 and verse 13. But when they were sick, my clothing was sackcloth. I humbled my soul with fasting. Now that word could also be translated afflict. So afflict and humble and fasting are all connected on the Day of Atonement. But what this is for, toward God. So that as Michael Heiss explained last night on GTM, that we all learn the lesson, in God we live and we move and we have our being, and everything about us depends upon God. Is that not correct? That's why we fast, toward God. And atonement is a very special day. I humbled my soul with fasting, and my prayer returned to my bosom. Okay? So let's keep that in mind. Now, he says here, sidebar, the commandment for atonement is not fasting. Yet he says it is. 
Okay? So there's confusion there. Is not fasting. In Leviticus, it does not talk about fasting when it talks about atonement. When it says you shall afflict your soul, everyone knew that was fasting. No question. What it commands is afflicting your souls. Okay. Well, how do you do that unless you fast? I want you to bear that in mind because that is very important description of the people that come out of the day of the Lord. Now, he wants to apply the fulfilling of the day of atonement to the people who are coming back out of the tribulation and coming back to the Holy Land. And we will see that has nothing to do with atonement. Though in Joel, the second chapter, talks about blow the horn. Well, the horn was blown. When was it blown the most? Trumpets. But every single holy day it was blown. And on atonement... Every 50 years, they had the Jubilee. And they blew the horn in a special way. So that cannot be applied to the people coming out of tribulation in Joel, the second chapter. Okay. But he says, continuing, we are talking about a fast on atonement. I want you to read this with understanding. Now, he's talking about Isaiah 58, what kind of fast do I want, and so forth. No, that's any fast in Isaiah 58, not atonement. Okay? He says he's talking about atonement. This is a description of why we fast on atonement. Now let's go back to Isaiah 58 and look at it. See? Is this why we fast on atonement? Okay. No, it's not. On atonement, we are to what? Fast, and we are to do no work, no labor. We are to afflict our souls, which means Fasting, Isaiah 58, and let's see. Okay, let's begin in verse 1, because he he comes down to verse 5, and then says from verse 5, that applies to atonement. But if you read the verses before, you will see that it cannot. Verse 1, cry aloud, spare not, lift up your voice like a ram's horn, and show my people their transgressions and the house of Jacob their sins. Yet they seek me daily. No special day, right? 
and seem eager to know my ways as the nation that did righteousness and one that did not forget the ordinance of their God. They ask of me the ordinance of justice. They seem eager to draw nearer to God. They say, why have we fasted and you did not see? Why did we afflict our souls and you did not take no knowledge? So you see, fasting and afflicting go what? Hand in hand. Behold, in the day of your fast, you pursue your business and exploit all your workers. Behold, you fast for strife and debate to strike with the fist of wickedness. You cannot fast as you fast this day and expect to make your voice heard on high. Now notice verse 5. So you've got to take those first four verses of Isaiah 58 and then come to verse 5. You cannot pull verse 5 out and say this applies to atonement. This is the fast that I have chosen, a day for a man to afflict his soul. It is to bow down his head like a bulrush and to spread sackcloth and ashes under him. Well, you call this a fast and a day of pleasure unto Lord, unto the Lord? This is not rather the fast that I have chosen is to loose the bands of wickedness. See? Now, this is for fasting on any day other than atonement. Because who gives the atonement on the day of atonement? God does comes directly from him for all the people to cover all their sins and all their transgressions. So this is talking about a fast, which is not atonement, to loose the bands of wickedness, to undo heavy burdens, to let the oppressed ones go free, and that you break every yoke. Is it not to give your bread to the to the hungry? Any any sense of this in Leviticus twenty three or Leviticus sixteen? Does it say after the fast is over, give your bread to the hungry? No, it doesn't. See, and when you get down to it, the two most important things concerning. The day of atonement is the goat for the Lord and the goat for Azazel. Now, there's another problem, as I cover, in presenting atonement. There are those who say that both goats represent Christ. Well, if they both represent Christ, why does there have to be a lot thrown for the Lord? There would be no lot thrown because they would both mean the same thing. See? And through scripture and prophecy of Revelation 20, we know that this goat to Azazel is the removal of sins that he causes in our lives that we know nothing about or what he's doing. 
just like us today, we're victims of this more than anything else. Okay? Let me give you an example. Have you heard a commercial on television or on the radio, and it's a catchy little tune, You don't want to remember it, but you can't get it out of your head. Does that ever happen? Yeah. Takes what, about three days? Okay. Satan has committed sins against humanity from the beginning, and he must pay for his sins against human beings. That's why... The goat for his Isaiah has all the sins put on his head because he started it. And all the subsequent sins of humanity down through time. Okay? That's why. And since the spirit being does not die, the goat is sent off into the wilderness where no one lives. Now, you can't understand how that applies to removing Satan into the darkest blackness forever and into the lake of fire and also into prison. You can't understand that until Revelation 20. And there you find the three stages of the punishment of Satan and the demons. One, locked up in jail. Right after what? Christ and the saints on trumpets comes to the earth. What's next? Day of atonement locking up Satan and the demons. Then after the thousand years are finished, he's loose for a short season. What does he do? Lead people to repentance, and he repents and comes to Jerusalem, and he's sorrowful? No. He starts a war. See? Because the incorrigible wicked up in Gog and Magog will be happy to participate in this war to try and capture Jerusalem because it has no seeable defense. So the next punishment for Satan is fire comes down from heaven, devours all those human beings who came against Jerusalem to devour them. Then Satan and the demons are cast into what? The lake of fire. That's phase two. Okay? Phase three is, after that, then they are removed to the blackest darkness somewhere in the universe forever. And that's what the goat for Azazel means. Okay? Now, back here to Isaiah 58 and verse 6. Is this not rather the fast that I have chosen to loose the bands of wickedness, to undo the heavy burdens, to let the oppressed go free, and that you break every yoke. Is it not to give your bread to the hungry, that you should bring home the wandering poor, 
Now, he says this wandering poor are those who are coming back out of the tribulation. Doesn't indicate that here at all. Okay. When will you see the naked and cover him and hide yourself from your own flesh? Okay. So that's a complete misapplication of Scripture. It does not apply to atonement. So that answers that question. All right. Let's go ahead and take a break, and we'll come back and cover the other complete misstatements, which actually changes the meaning of the Day of Atonement. Now, all of that could be avoided, could have been avoided, if there would be conferring with other elders or conferring with me. See? And so since this was sprung out on everybody as a big surprise, okay, we have to answer it publicly. Because people will wonder, well, what's happening? Well, we're going to follow exactly what it says in 1 Timothy 5. The elders that sin, correct them so that everyone will understand. We'll look at that again. Let's take a break. 